to down your unders. Down your unders. Review and dissection of content from some of the sharpest minds in the game. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Art of War. Down Under. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode 42 of the Art of War Down Under podcast. My name, as always, is Adam Camilleri, and I'm joined by a pretty interesting duo that I've managed to stick together through the, the wiles of the warp. Uh, first and foremost is Mr. Brandon Grant returning after being on our show for a This Is Your Hobby Life segment. Very, very, very happy to have you back, Brandon. How you doing, mate? It's good to be back. Thanks for the invite. Yes, for those who don't know Brandon, he is a bit of a he's not a Warhammer hero as far as the the qualification of the, or the, whatever the vote is for through GW but he's a Warhammer hero in our hearts for winning the ITC in the manner in which he did and uh, winning the LVO on top of that he's a two-time BAO champion as well I believe or maybe I'm giving you accolades you don't have but if you don't whatever no that's all correct ah oh, swish off to a good start guys the second part of this uh Ex- exceptionally expert duo is Christopher Wright. He is the most recent uh, CanCon champion, being the 2020 CanCon champion. We're able to run that event prior to COVID locking down our scene over here. But And apart from that, over here, he is renowned as probably the best player in Australia you've never heard of. He's a very cerebral, very intelligent man, and we're an absolute pleasure to have him on for this episode. Hello, Chris. Welcome. Yeah, Adam. Good to be here. Thanks for such a, a nice introduction. No problems. I'm my absolute honor to have you on. And we've got a very... Um, Interesting topic today. We put it to a vote to the patrons. We wanted to do uh, an episode on the fundamentals of forty of competitive forty k. I knew I had these two gentlemen lined up, and they are an extreme wealth of knowledge. You already know in the caliber of what Mister Brandon Brand brings to the table. And Chris is no slouch whatsoever. In fact, over here we joke that Christopher Wright is our equivalent of a Brandon Grant. He's very cerebral, and we joke about him being a bit of a calculator. But we're here to talk about the fundamentals of playing the mission in competitive 40k in ninth. And so that's going to be kind of talking about some overarching concepts of how you go about playing first and second, what secondaries to pick. And then we're going to be running through the GT Pack Strike Force missions one by one, line by line, talking out how we play it out, how we conceptualize playing a game across the table from somebody from XYZ, and going to be taking you through our thinkings and uh, the things that I've helped these two gentlemen especially um, stay current, stay relevant, and stay strong. Now, uh, a little bit about Art of War Down Under. We are a two-part podcast, of course, as you may or may not know. The first part of this can be found on the Art of War website, of course, uh, as well as on the YouTube. So that's uh, Art of War uh, at YouTube. You can also find us on all the aggregators right now. The only one that we're holding out on is, I, is uh, Apple. Apple still haven't got us up on iTunes yet, but po- apart from that, we're up on all the others. We're on Spotify, we're on all the other aggregators, all the FMs and podcasts, wherever you may be, wherever you may find us, we are there. Uh, and you can also find us over on Patreon, of course, but I'm trying to steer people towards the website. So if you go to the theartofwar40k.com, you will find the second part of this podcast in addition to this podcast and the entire backlog of every single one I've done, all 42 episodes and all the other incredible ones that have been done by Nick Nanavati, John Damaris, and co. And you can buy our podcast and the Nick Nanavati one for a nice lump sum, you get the perks of both and you get the part two of both uh, for one nice, easy, easy purchase. Jump over to the website, please get involved and support us so we can continue doing these amazing things. But jumping into the meat and potatoes of this episode, gentlemen, I'll hit us over to Brandon first to get us started. But when you approach the table, and I suppose we're going to be um, talking about each mission in particular, but what are some of the basic tenets that when you walk up to the table and you look at the mission, you look at the things, what do you look at? What do you decide? How do you conceptualize the first, very first things you do at the start of a game when you see a mission? So first of all, the new mission pack has primary and secondary missions. 
And you mm-hmm. want, ideally, to be able to win at least one of them if you're going to win the game and hold or win the other one. So having a game plan that focuses on one or the other being very reliable is important. In some of the missions, the primary mission is probably going to be pretty tight just because of how the objectives are laid down. So in my opinion, focusing on winning the secondaries as reliably as possible and as uninteractively as possible, as counterintuitive as that may seem, is a good place to start with your list. I say uninteractively because if you're relying on your opponent's list to give up at least one of the secondaries and then you face an opponent who doesn't give up any on one of the missions where you basically push on the primary, Mm. then uh, you're in trouble. So you always need to have a game plan, even if it's not your primary game plan, to be able to win the secondaries, in my opinion, and then focus on winning the primary or at least tying the primary. Um, What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I think that's a a fantastic point that sometimes uh, the primary is going to be very tight. Some of the missions, particularly like mission uh, 11, where there's each player has like three objectives down their end, uh, in a lot of matchups, that's going to be 40 all or 40 to 45. So, yeah, secondaries is absolutely the way to go. Um, but, you know, of course, um, like everything, it's, it's very matchup dependent. Sometimes you look at it and you'll think um, your opponent's going to put a lot of pressure on you in terms of primaries, and that's going to have to be a big part of your game plan. Um, yeah, so these things depend a lot from matchup to matchup, mission to mission. Yeah, that's a very interesting point that. Um I mean, straight off the bat, Brandon jumped into what can I control and what can I not control? And of course, secondaries are a thing you have absolute control over. You get to choose them. You get to pick them. You get to have an idea of how much you're going to score before the game, before you know what you're playing against. And of course, the primary is a thing that's always going to be in flux. You can, you can you know, estimate it out, as these two gentlemen just said. You know, there are some missions where you'll you'll go in, you'll be like, I can I can realistically think I'm going to get a minimum, you know, 35, 40 or whatever um, based on, you know, what I've brought to the table. But even just that, just saying that um, what I can and can't control is, is kind of what I broke that down to. Was that fair to say, Brandon? I think so. Um, you want to focus first on everything that you need to accomplish and second, narrow it down to what you have control over um, and focus on improving your gameplay on that front. Mm. Yeah, absolutely right. Now, Chris, what's the same question I gave to Brandon at the start of this? What's a, a fundamental of walking up to a table, looking at the, the list you're playing, looking at the mission? What are the things that go through your head? Uh, so there are a couple of pretty pretty basic things, which I think most people probably do. Um, but, you know, you're going to have to pick some secondaries and you want to look at the deployment type um, is a big thing for me. Um, so if you've got something like a table quarters deployment, that means engagement or fronts is going to be really interesting. Um, there's one of the diagonal deployments where you can actually deploy in three different table quarters. Um, so you're really thinking about that mm-hmm. as opposed to a uh, hammer and anvil style deployment where you've got to move, uh, you know, a li- more than 12 inches and getting quite close to your opponent before you can sort of any engage. Um, Domination is mm-hmm. a lot easier in object- uh, missions where there's a central objective, so the the five objective ones, so that's certainly something to consider. Um, Pierce the Veil is one which you don't see very often, but um, again, with those diagonal deployments, uh, it's a bit strange how your opponent's board edge sometimes works. Sometimes you can actually deploy just a few inches from it, um, and if you've got you know the Psyker to, to do that action, that can be a great choice as opposed to, again, some other deployment mm. types where you've got to go like 30-something inches from your deployment zone to, to the closest place you can actually start doing yeah. that um so yeah a lot to think about what does this mission um favor in terms of secondaries mm. so uh, interesting 
because there's a lot of colloquialisms, there's a lot of uh, abbreviations in 40K, and we talk about things like Hammer and Anvil, things like Dawn of War, things like these, which have, to be honest, had, didn't exist much in 8th edition and do not exist in 9th edition. Those terms do not exist. So there are there might be quite a bit of our player base out there that don't actually know what these deployments are. So when we talk about uh, Dawn of War, that's pretty much deploying on the longboard edge, 10 inches up. It used to be 12, now it's 10. Uh, Vanguard is when you deploy in a table corner as in you're in a corner and you deploy up but there's two versions of that now and hammer and anvil is when you deploy on the short edge and it's 18 inches up now yeah on on the short on hammer and anvil yeah still 24 inches apart and then there's table quarters as in you have you deploy in a quarter of the table um but now we've got two we've essentially got two versions of vanguard do we want to do we want to try and patent a name for the two different versions of vanguard because you got the you got the version of vanguard that's I think based off hammer and anvil and the one that's based off dawn of war you got the one where it's kind of from the, the top left-hand corner drawing diagonally down to the halfway point of the table. And that's the kind of the new one, which you don't have a name for, or a colloquialism. Yeah. Coming up with names is not my strong suit. That I'm one. not a creative person. I'll, I'll leave that to someone else. <laughs> Fair. I'll put it in the comments. Somebody in the YouTube comments can chuck up something wacky, and we'll see if we can make it stick. But uh, that's what we don't have a name for. We've got a name for pretty much all the other ones. But uh, hitting back over to Brandon, um, do you... When you when you see an opponent and you see the mission, do you already decide whether it's whether you want to go first or second, or is this something you put aside and you just like see what the role is and then deal with whatever happens? I typically assume I go second, but try and have a plan for if I go first. Fair, very fair. That, that's and a great one. I, again, you're trying to bet that the worst possible outcome will happen, mm-hmm. and oftentimes the worst possible outcome is your opponent destroys all your stuff before you have a chance to move. So yes. not giving them the opportunity to do that is a great way to start your deployment, which is, as long as I have models, I have a chance. Absolutely right. Chris, anything Yeah, I, I certainly agree that you want to think about your deployment in terms of what would you rather do and then sort of deploy for the opposite. Um, yeah, if it's a mission where uh, a matchup where they don't have too much firepower, then you probably want to go second, and I'd be thinking about, um, you know, okay, how do I deploy to make the most of going first, um, and which is, you know, the one I don't want to do. Um, or when they do have a lot of firepower, yeah, if you go, be ready to go second and, and have to cop it. Uh, Chris, a lot, and supposed to Brandon as well in a moment, but staying with you for a second, a lot has been made of the going first and going second. In fact, we had the, the Falcon on um, a couple of weeks ago who, who pretty much told us there's still a, a better win rate going first than second. But in my heart of hearts, I always want to go second if I have the choice. How do you feel about it? There's a lot of factors that come into that. Um, the amount of terrain on the board, you know, the more it is, the better you are going second. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the amount of firepower, obviously, um, the more firepower on the table, the more likely you want to go first. So in general, I tend to have not that much firepower and most of the boards I'm playing on the moment are pretty um, dense terrain. So I'm generally pref- uh, preferring to go second. Um, though I could well imagine people in other circumstances would desperately want to go first. So uh, I think Mm. these things just depend a lot. Um, Overall, it's probably fairly close to 50-50, though, I imagine. Fair enough. Brandon, same question. My personal preference is I like to go second, so I get the last turn advantage because I'm typically trying to play a more wait till the last, not wait, but last until the last turns of the game to make big plays mm-hmm. um but going first you need to have that game plan as well so that if your opponent can sit in their deployment zone and just win the game um you're able to move up the board and interfere with their plans but uh for the most part 
I, I definitely prefer KG play. So going mm-hmm. second is generally better for that. So long as the terrain supports a defensive deployment going first mm. or deploying rather so that your opponent's firepower can't remove your most important models immediately. So you just you touched on an interesting concept there already. You said that um, you know if you if you go have to go first, you have to think about disruption more than um, perhaps the, the double down on your own scoring elements as you could. Yeah, you, you have the the gift of being able to do if you go second. Uh, do you think that's something that's become a prevalent thing in the game? As in, if you go first, there's a bit more pressure on you to disrupt your opponent's scoreboard rather than just double down on your own. So I've talked about this in other places, but I call it initiative. Where if yep. you look at the game state. The player who has the initiative is the player who, if the game state does not change, is uh, losing the game. And typically that's the first player, because the second player is going to score big on the last turn if they have models left in a way the first player can't afford to do. Therefore, the first player has the initiative, which means it's up to them to change the state of the game. And generally, that way you change the state of the game is you... Uh, deny your opponent places that they want to move, either with threatening units where you say, yeah, you can stay behind that cover, but if you come out, I'm going to murder you, or by zoning them out so the reserves can't come in where they want, and so on, or best of all, or easiest of all, just remove their models off the board. If they don't have models, mm-hmm. they can't do anything. So sure. if you're going first, that needs to be your game plan is how do I slow my opponent down enough so that on the last turn, they can't make up enough points. Mm. Back over to Chris. And, and changing tact slightly, what makes a good secondary? How many points do you have to be able to reliably get from a secondary until you think it's good and worth taking? Hmm. A good secondary is a pretty vague concept, um, particularly for the armies that don't have a codex uh, and don't have their own secondaries. You're expecting one or two of them to score quite a lot of points, you know, 12-plus points. But um, the last one is often pretty rough. Um, so... You, you might be hoping like to take one which you hope to score ten, but maybe you get five. You might take a say if six or seven. Um, yeah, so good secondary is is more of a concept of what is your third best one. Um, and mm. in in some cases, you'll decide to take a bit of a riskier one, um, which maybe you score zero, but maybe you score big on um, if you think you're going to need those big secondary points to win the game. Other times you might think you yep. can take them on primary and you might go for the safer six or something like that. Mm. So that's that's an interesting uh, value assessment you just made because there are absolutely some armies out there that when they play some missions, a 45 on the secondaries is actually just not viable. It's not even a factor. Uh, so you're saying that you know on some missions, you have to just accept getting about like a, by your estimate, you said two 12s and something like a, a six or a seven. So you, you, you'd be happy to just r- walk away with 30, 32 points. Yeah. Um, that's just the way it goes sometimes. Yeah, fair. That is, that's just some yeah. of the books, unfortunately. Like, I mean, I'm, I can speak as a Dark Angel play. I have the gift of being able to get 45s on every mission, um, secondary-wise, which is it's ridic- was one of the reasons that book is ridiculous. Um, but, Brandon, over to you. Uh, what makes a secondary worth taking for you? What are the factors involved? You, when taking secondaries, your goal should be to score exactly enough in order to win. Oof, of course. That's, that, opens a, that opens a can. So, <laughs> um, a good secondary is one you can take where you're going to reliably score in total, I think five to 10 more secondary points than your opponent. And that gives Mm -hmm. you some breathing room on the primary so that if you tie primary, you win. And tying primary tends to be relatively straightforward to do a lot of the time if you're playing very competitive armies. 
So a good secondary to select is the one that's easier than the one your opponent selected. And so do you try and predict what your opponent's going to select? When you, you walk up to the table, you hand them their list, they hand you your list, you look at what they're taking, look at the mission. And do, do you just in your head be like, okay, they're probably taking this, this, this? I honestly am not there yet. Ninth is still not something I've played 100 games in. Yep. So my focus at this point, truthfully, is on my objectives. Um, so I'll Fair. look at the battlefield and I'll be like, uh, like Chris was saying, oh, I'm in, I have to deploy on short edges. There's no way I can get engage on all fronts easily. So maybe I'll take domination. Oh no, there's not a center of battlefield objective. Domination is bad. And I just go down this list that I've basically written down of these are the ones my army is probably best at scoring under most circumstances. So I just go down the narrowed down list that's good for my army and go, okay, these are my top three. And sometimes yeah. it's the mission secondary, but not always. Some of those mission secondaries are weird. Yes, uh, there are. So, yeah, we're, we're going to talk about those as well as we go through these and see how they they stack up or their worthiness. But uh, you're spot on, Chris. Anything you want to add onto this kind of the overarching um, fundamentals before we jump into going mission by mission? Uh, I think I'm pretty well happy to go into it. I just want to say how great a job I think Brandon's doing of articulating these things. Um, I'm I'm learning a lot just uh, just chatting with him. <laughs> Fantastic. Look at this. You're already Likewise. hitting it off. Likewise. Lovely. Uh, all right. So we're going to, for those who want to follow, feel, like, feel free to follow on at home if you're listening. We're going to be cracking open the GT pack, starting with a Strike Force mission, the first of which is number 11, Retrieval. So I'm just going to quickly run over the mission, and then I'll hit it over to one of you guys to give us a synopsis of how you conceptualize playing it. So this is a, uh, a six-objective mission with uh, four of them being placed in no man's land, eight inches from the center line, uh, being deployed hammer and anvil, so upon the short edge, uh, 18 inches up. Uh, it's control one or more, and then two or more for five, and then more for the additional five. The secondary objective is minimize losses. So at the start of the battle, add up the number of units in your army. This is your army's strength. If a unit splits to form two or more individual units, then immediately increase, decrease, blah, blah, blah. You get the idea. Um, at the end of the battle, add up how many units from your army are left on the battlefield, including all units embarked within transports, but excluding any units that had not been added to your army during the battle. That have been added, sorry. Um, if the total is 75% or more of your army's starting strength, you score 15. 50% or more is 10. And 25% or more is 5. I'll hit this one over to Brandon first up. How do you feel about this mission? How do you conceptualize playing it? And how do you feel about the secondary? So depending on how the game is being played, um, minimize losses is a bet with your opponent. Um, it is. Mm. Because it depends on what style of army you're playing. Like, let's say you have a list where you chose to maximize while we stand, we fight. So mm -hmm. you have three ridiculous units that are far and away. The units are going to do all the heavy lifting. And then you have 10 MSU units. They're going to run around the battlefield and zone people out and hold objectives, but don't really do much. Well, minimize losses is terrible for you because Absolutely. your three units you might get while we stand, we fight 15, but based on percent of number of units, um, you're probably going to have less than 25% because all those mm. 10 chaff units are probably being sent to their deaths over the course of the game. So minimize losses favors armies that are relatively uniform compared to armies that are min-maxing. And min-maxing yeah. is generally the way to go right now. It is MSU and um, kind of spreading your influence across as much of the board as possible is where we seem to be going with this game. Chris, what are your thoughts? Um, this this mission is probably the hardest mission to deny people primaries. Um, as I mentioned before, there's three objectives relatively mm. close to each deployment zone. So I like to think at the start of the game, is there going to be a contest over primaries? Um, 
if someone's got an army that's suited to be quite aggressive um, or do a lot of uh, primary denying, then you you do need to think about the primaries. If not, um, then it's just going to be a high-scoring primary game, and there's sort of not much that's going to change that unless someone you know gets way ahead on damage and picks it up later on. Um, so then I think who's better at scoring secondaries? Um, so if I'm playing against Dark Angels, they're going to take uh, you know they can take banners while we stand and stubborn defiance. And if I don't make something happen, um, uh, uh, like uh, Brandon was talking about before, the initiative is on me. I need to make a play. I need to pick some secondaries mm-hmm. that are more aggressive. And even though I don't want to run at that Dark Angel's Castle, I've got to do something. Um, whereas yeah. some other games, you might realize that there will be more of a contest on primaries. And um, then you might start to pick slightly safer secondaries, might go for more um, damage or disruption and uh, play the game in a totally different way. So yeah, I I like to conceptualize things a little bit differently sometimes uh, from you gentlemen. There's uh, one thing I always notice about this one is that the so there's four no man's land objectives and they're actually so there's kind of two sets of two. It's not four together. It's two sets of two of them. And if you take uh, the spheres of influence of the control zones of the objectives into account, um, each set of two is only about ten inches of no man's land between. So you could you can straddle squads, big enough squads, from one of those to the other one and control both. Now at the start of the, the start of the mission, I usually look at my opponent's army and be like, and pick which one of those two. I'm going to make a play for it because it's obvious you're going to you're going to posture up. You're going to control the ones on your half of the table. But then I am always of the opinion you should try and pick one of them in which to to play into to play into your opponent's side, just disrupt their their primary, disrupt their their scoreboard. On top of that, when I when I, uh, minimize losses to me, it's kind of an on or off switch kind of secondary. It's not one where I I think is doable very often. I but I do like that this is it's a one that's on a on a board that is hammer and anvil. Hammer and anvil is the, like is the deployment where you get to be like, okay, I have X amount of units in my army, and if I want to just keep fifty of them, fifty percent of them safe, they can just all deploy out of range of my opponent's guns. And so I make a, a value judgment based on how good my terrain is and how what the range of my opponent's guns are before I I think about whether um, minimized losses are even going to be viable. Uh, does any of that make sense to you, fine gentlemen, Chris? Does that make sense to you? Um, so. What you said about the objectives being in pairs kind of makes some sense, but the fundamental problem with that in this mission is you're not actually achieving anything in terms of primaries by doing that. If your opponent still holds their objective and their one on the other side, they're still getting 10 points per turn. Mm-hmm. Um, and as long as they can knock you know, you, you back one each turn, you're still only going to get 10 as well. Um, so that, that can be yep. a good start and a good staging point to, to push from if you're trying to take primaries, but in and of itself, that doesn't actually get you there. So, so you think this is one that's, that's one or loss on your secondary selections and, and how well you play them? In a lot of matchups. Um, some, some matchups, like mm. if you bring 80 Necron Warriors, you can contest the primaries um, very easily in this mission. Or if you bring Drukari, you can table your opponent and then win on secondaries at the end of the game. But in, a, <laughs> in, in a lot of matchups, it is um, going to be either secondaries or you're going to have to like really throw yourself to get knock them off some primaries mm. yeah fair brandon anything else to say on retrieval i'd just say i wouldn't take minimize losses if my opponent has the speed and firepower to reduce the number of models i have or if i plan to fight very hard on the primary because mm. if i'm throwing away a unit every turn to deny you your third objective so i can control more objectives than you then um yeah the um secondary minimize losses isn't really going to work very well so i'd pick one or the That's other fair. yeah i, I yeah, you pick whether you're going to try and go for the 45 on the primary or you take minimized losses. You don't do both, right? Or you don't take 
while we stand, we fight with your three unit Death Star list. <laughs> um, but instead, you throw those three units forward aggressively and you leave the other 10 units in your mm. army mostly behind where it's safe and then try and win on minimize losses that way. Yeah, that's not, not a bad idea either. All right, jumping over to the next one, which is Scorched Earth. Uh, this one has uh, race as a, the special rule in the mission. Uh, the deployment here is um, what we would call Dawn of War. So that's on the long edge, 10 inches up. Six objectives. Um, two of them are on the uh, board are on the line of your deployment zone, so they're right on the edge, and then two of them are on the outsides um, um, across the, the middle line on, in no man's land. Um, but raise objectives. Uh, one unit from your army can stop from this action at the start of your movement phase if it is in range of objective marker that can be raised, and no enemy units, excluding aircraft, are within range. Play A can only attempt to raise objectives blade A and A and B, blah, 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 blah. So, um, and that goes with the secondary objective, uh, which is at the end of the battle, player scores 650 points. If one objective marker was removed from the battlefield due to a successful raise uh, from by unit, um, and 1250 points if two markers were so removed. Uh, this is a hold one, hold two, and hold more. I'll start off with Brandon. What do you think of this one? So first of all, the thing that stands out relative to the previous mission is that the center of the battlefield is extremely far removed from all the mm. objectives. Yep. So on any of the objectives that encourage you to be in the center are less appealing because having a big presence in the center, yeah. you're far away from all the objectives. Um, it looks like one where you want um, to pick a flank and push it really hard while holding the other flank as best you can mm. and just acknowledging that you can hold four and they can hold two and try and win that way. So you're saying try and turn this into a vanguard? A little bit. Um, but the problem is during deployment, of course, uh, the advantage will be with the player who have, has more units because they place them one mm -hmm. at a time. So they can sort of put stuff in the middle of this fast and then you run out of units to place and they put everything on one flank where you can't respond yes. to it. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is, that's this what is I'm one, thinking. Yeah, this, this is, is one, one where it's much more appealing to pick a flank. Yeah. So you're saying kind of a deny flank style, look like you're going to be strong on one flank, let make them deploy across from you, and then stack the other one as hard as you can. Um, Chris, anything to add? This is another one where primaries are fairly hard to contest. Um, there's six objectives. You only need to hold one for the five points, two for the ten, um, and they're fairly spread out. So, again, at the start of the game, I'm thinking about whether or not this is going to be a contest of, of primaries. Um, the more speed you have in your army, the more likely you are to be able to knock your opponent off a couple. So, yeah, I'm often trying to, as Brandon said, pick a flank, um, hold those ones, and then, yeah, just harass my opponents off the other ones. But in other matchups, you might decide that's not viable and and sort of, again, it, and look for a, a 40-ish all on primary and and look to beat them on secondaries. Mm. I don't know if, if you guys get gut feelings when you walk up to the table and you see some missions, but this is the mission I never want to play against a gun line on. In a lot of missions, um, there will be a, 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 a just how I see tables are laid out conventionally. You know, Nova L's or um, big pieces of line of sight blocking in the middle usually leaves two or three of these objectives just out in no man's land you can see everything that's going to be on it and i always feel like it's bad to be playing against a gun line on this one just because i feel like my stuff's always going to be exposed if it's on objectives do you guys ever get that feeling about missions absolutely this one um mm. a shooting army can reach out and deny you an objective without leaving their deployment zone mm. and especially because the objectives are so far apart it's harder for a uh, melee based army to both hold an objective with unit and threaten another objective exactly that's not on their side of the battlefield yeah it's very hard to it's it's hard to project it's hard to 
Because a lot of people, what they want to do is they want to push onto an objective with something strong, follow it up with something weak when that, that strong unit pushes off to the next one. And it's very hard to do that in this one because that weak unit usually just gets picked up and then that strong unit has to just sit there. It's no longer pushing onto anything else. It's just kind of got to hunker down. Uh, so it really just it impairs you and slows you down. I like what you said about chaining into Vanguard because as soon as you draw the Vanguard across from this, you see that there's there's easily three objectives you should be trying for and one that you're close to getting some influence on, whether you want that to be on the, the upper left-hand side or the bottom um, right-hand side. Yeah. I think that's an interesting concept. Chris, anything to add before we move on? Uh, the secondary and, and just the mission rule in this one is kind of interesting. Um, I've never played an army that has looked to make use of rays. Um, you, you, yeah. You're certainly someone that is looking to be very aggressive, push your opponent off their objectives, um, and unless you're smashing your opponent, that probably means that they're going to be swinging around and taking some middle or, or your objectives. Um, so, yeah, I've never made use of it. I don't know how other people have gone with it. I'd be interested to hear if someone has made good use of that secondary. So the it's, only so go Brandon. It, it's not that many secondaries because reliably, I think you might be able to do one, but two is pushing it because they're so far apart. Yeah. Your mm. opponent's probably going to be able to hold one of them unless you're tabling them. And if you're tabling them, there's better secondaries that you can score <laughs> 15 with. Yeah. So when it says that you, so if I was player A, I can only um, raise the the B marked ones, which are the ones on the line of my opponent's deployment zone. If I can c- control both of them over on their deployment zone, the game's already over. Like I've already won. There's yeah, there's 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 primary scoring is gone. Unless we've wholly changed places. Here's an interesting thing though: the raising of objectives in this mission is just a special rule. It's a mission rule. It's not attached to the secondary. You don't have to pick the no. secondary to raise. I I the only time I've ever I've never picked the end game secondary objective, but I have raised my opponent's objectives opportunistically when I get over there, and I know I can control it for one turn, but I can't control it for multiple turns. Um, so yeah, it's actually an interesting thing to just run over, dogpile onto one of their objectives, raise it, and let them clear you off. Um, and then you know you've essentially you've if you do that early enough, you can just swing the primary horrifically in your favor. I could see play for it if you're someone like Drukari with nine raiders and mm, you throw all true. the raiders on your opponent's objectives turn mm. one because they left you space for it. Because as long as you have some models left, and if they're not good at cracking raiders, you'll have models. One of the raiders goes, yes. and I'm raising your objective. Goodbye. Exactly right. It's uh, it's actually a very, very good one for them. Good one. Another good one for sisters as well. Another good one for anything that's got some quick uh, obsec, and you can just chuck a couple of units on there because it's it's done at the end of your turn. So if you've just got enough bodies on there, it's probably going to happen. Yeah, but, but you uh, have to start it during the start of your movement phase. So you have to survive an enemy turn in range of the objective and then as long as a model is in range at the start of your movement, you raise it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's at the start of your movement phase. It's the first thing you do. You can't move onto it. You have to exist there already. So that's why you have to dogpile on and just, um, yeah. All right, next one is Vital Intel. So this is a this is what we what we call a corners deployment or a vanguard because you deploy with you know you're back to a corner um, and you're looking across from your opponent. There are six objectives in this mission. Uh, one of them in the center of your deployment zone, and then there's four running diagonally from the top left hand corner of the table, running across uh, the the kind of diagonal center line from um, top left hand corner to bottom right hand corner. So this is a control two control more. Um, and it has a mission special rule called data terminals. Uh, this object, the objective markers in this mission represent data terminals. Um, if you control an objective marker at the end of your command phase, it remains under your control until uh, your opponent controls it off you. It's essentially so you can move off and still retain control. The secondary here is uh, 
an action and a progressive. Each time a unit from your army successfully completes the following action, you score a number of victory points equal to the number of a number of objective markers you currently control. So if you have one unit that just does an action on one of your objectives, you score the start of your next turn. You score a number of points equal to the number of um, objectives you control. So this is an interesting one, and this is one of my favorite ones because I feel it brings up the most interplay between me and my opponent uh, because I feel like the secondary is very good. But Chris, how do you feel about Vital Intel? Yeah, I, I agree. I think this is um, possibly the most interesting mission of the lot. I think we could do a whole podcast just on it. Um, there's mm. a lot of different ways you can play it depending on your army and your opponent. Um, so the first thing to to bring up is that completely differently to the first two, this one is very hard to score primaries on. Um, you have to mm -hmm. hold at least one of the objectives way out of your deployment zone to score anything. Um, so it's not that uncommon to even see someone score zero on primary. Um, so I think my approach to this one is to, uh, before the start of the game, think about am I um, trying to do all I can to hold on to my primary because my opponent's going to be trying to knock me off. Am I going to be sort of easily able to do that and looking to harass my opponent's objectives? Or is it going to be something where we're going to be um, getting low primary scores because we're both knocking each other off quite a lot? Hmm. So you right at the start, you, you decide how much you're going to invest in disruption and how much you're going to invest in like hunkering down and being indomitable on, on one or two of these no man lands objectives right yeah for sure um so one mm -hmm. way you could play a, a hunker down sort of game is um you know you'll notice the sort of top two objectives are fairly close together there's a big gap and then the bottom two objectives so you you might pick a section of, of three your objective and then either top or bottom um and mm. you'll, you'll probably um really really dogpile that uh, center more objective of the one you you pick um, really try and ring it put a lot of obsec on there hold that as hard as you can um, and then put what you need on the one above um, put what you need on your deployment zone sometimes that can be nothing because you do keep it if you hold it start of your command phase so if your opponent doesn't have speed you can completely abandon it and hang on to that um, and so that can be a good way to hold some objectives and and from that you you can you know when you've really securely got the center more of the one you're picking you you can use that as a staging point to try and harass um, some of your opponent's mm. primaries. Um, just keeping them off one of their three each turn gets them down to a five, and that can be fantastic. Um, yeah, I'll I'll let you guys have more of a chat. I could go on forever about this one, <laughs> Brandon. Yeah, what are your thoughts? I think the uh, secondary in this one is actually competitive. Um, mm. Data intercept, I think you can reliably get about two points a turn with it, which is pretty reasonable. Mm. Maybe three, depending on the play style of your opponent, uh, if they're slow especially. So this mission, when I look at it, I think this favors fast armies because, first of all, you don't have to stay on the objective marker to hold it as long as your opponent can't reach it. So if your yep. opponent has no reserves, uh, you can just not you can just kill everything that would be in movement range to get to the objective and move on. You can leave entire parts of the board with Correct. maybe a two-man unit standing in mm. it to pick up and gauge on all fronts, um, which is huge. So again, I'm looking at this and going, Jakari would love this mission. Um, <laughs> I wonder why they're good. Maybe it's because they like all the missions. But <laughs> yes, but on top of that, because of the objective balance uh, and the fact that the objectives are within 12 inches of the center of the battlefield, I think the center is mm. incredibly critical in this battle. Um, and if you can control the center of this board and a flank, you should win because your opponent, if you're controlling the center, will find it much harder to get your objectives that are on the flank 
or your home objective. And yeah. uh, yep. you'll be able to harass their objective, which um, should give you an edge mm-hmm. on the primary to, again, holding them to five primary points a turn, even if um, you're not getting control more necessarily, you're at least getting control three or more if you're reliably holding those three. Yeah, I find this an interesting one to conceptualize about which which way I want to turn it, whether I want to turn it hammer and anvil, sorry, to Dawn of War, I want to turn it to hammer and anvil. Do I want to invest in the top top two cluster or the middle two? And then you're absolutely right. Investing in the center of the board plays dividends here. When in the last one, we saw that it was kind of a detriment to try and go for the middle. In the middle here, it gives you such a good sphere of influence and it blocks your opponent off from being able to come into your three really, really nicely from that center board. But um, I'll move on from there uh, to Surround and Destroy. So this one is another six-objective mission. This one has two objectives in your deployment zone, and your deployment zone being uh, Dawn of War. And then it's a uh, Hold 1, Hold 2. And there's also two um, on the across the, the middle center line of the table, 10 inches from the center. So 20 inches from each other, those two objectives. Now, this is very spread out, very wide. And the secondary here is called Surround Them. Uh, you score 450 points at the end of your command phase. At, uh, and at the end of the battle, if you control both the objective markers in your deployment zone and one or more objective marker in your opponent's deployment zone, score 80 points instead if you control all four objective markers in their deployment zones. Brandon, how do you feel about like this one? So surround them is actually really tricky to pull off, in really my opinion. Tricky. Because if you're pushing their flank really hard and they're fast enough, that means they're just taking your other home objective, which is diagonally across from it. And it's very hard to have enough board presence to stop them from doing that uh, and push into their deployment zone, which is where they start. Um, And last in their deployment zone until the start of your command phase, unless, of course, you're tabling them. So um, this is an objective you pick if you're already winning. And one of the things that you should try and pick objectives, in my opinion, for isn't when you're tabling people. It's when you're actually playing from behind. So you want to pick secondaries where even Mm. if you're behind on the table, you can still score them well enough to make the game competitive and hopefully pull off a win. So if it's a win more objective, I'm less interested. Yeah, this is a this is an interesting one where the center matters. The center doesn't have a it doesn't have an objective in the middle of the battlefield, but controlling the middle of the battlefield is kind of all important. But you have to be so spread. Like the objectives in your deployment zones are so far from each other that you're almost going to have two deployments. Two deployments. You're going to deploy on one flank in your deployment zone and the other flank in your deployment zone. But you need to have enough resources that you can spend to punch in the middle. So I do kind of like how it spreads you thin across supporting yourself in your deployment zone like you have to have two kind of self-sufficient little bubbles um on the board and then be able to push into the middle which i think makes for some interesting things uh chris what are your thoughts on surrounded destroy uh i think brandon wasn't um uh harsh enough i think he was doing a bit too much beating around the bush on this mission secondary <laughs> I, I think it's the worst in the game by far and under no circumstances should you ever pick it um it's it's Yikes. like i think of it as like compare it to engage on all fronts. So in this one, you need to be well in your back right quarter, well in your back left quarter, and well in one of your uh, one of the other quarters. You need, but you need to be there at the end of your command phase. So after your opponent's whole turn, mm. and not only do you need to be in those quarters, you need to be controlling those objectives. So it's like engage on all fronts, but a thousand times harder. Um, it's yes. not not something that you should ever consider at all. 
fair. Uh, what do you what do you say to the the deployment issues with this one? With your essentially your, your two home objectives are forty inches away from each other, to all intents and purposes. Um, does that mean you got to some significant questions you have to make in deployment? Is there an option to just deploy on one of your home objectives and make a huge run to turn this into hammer and anvil? Yeah, there definitely is. Um, so you you've got two objectives quite close to each other. So one of yours and one of the middle ones. Um, if you can. Mm. Uh, hold both of those for the whole game. You're picking up ten a turn, um, and as long as you know you're not necessarily giving up a fifteen uh, for your opponent, um, that's totally fine. Even if you do give up fifteen, if you get ten a turn and they get um, fifteen a turn, you still only end up forty-five to forty. Um, so, so with some armies, that's definitely how you will look to play it. Other armies, of course, you'll have more speed. You look to spread out. Take a bunch of objectives. You might aim to take four of the objectives, keep your opponent to two. Um, you might look to knock them down to one some of the turns. Um, yeah, but but like the first two missions we looked at, it's it's relatively easy to score primaries in this one. Um, and so you're either looking to win on secondaries or going to have to make a big push mm. to, to lower your opponent's primary score. Yeah, agreed. Brandon, anything else to add before we move on? This one favors shooting armies and armies with speed. Massively, um, yeah. Yeah, because there's a lot of space between the objectives in this mission. And this is another one where I think, depending on terrain, uh, actually holding the center might be very attractive, so long as your army is fast enough to threaten your opponent as they try and flank on either side. Yeah, very well said. I totally agree with that as well. Anything else? I think we're ready to move on. Brilliant. This is right. Yeah, over to battle lines. This is a hold one, hold more. This is a four, sorry, hold one, hold two. This is a four objective mission. This is hammer and anvil. uh, So it's on the short edge, uh, 18 inches up. And you have one objective in your deployment zone and then one objective in, uh, sorry, two objectives in no man's land, 14 inches dead center from the middle, running up the no man's land uh, middle section of the board. The progressive uh, secondary objective here is vital ground. At the end of each of your command phases, you score three victory points if you control the center, the objective marker in your opponent's deployment zone, and score two victory points for each objective marker you control that is not in your player's deployment zone. So this one is my, like, there's a couple of these that are just like Dark Angels, like, absolute dream, and this is one of them, uh, because this this really, this doesn't favor quickness so much, but it does favor gun lines, and it does favor, like, Death Stars to some extent, because you only have to, like, essentially exist in, in two places, right? Yeah, oh, object Death Stars would be incredible in this mission. Mm. Yeah, agreed. Um, Chris, what do you think of this one? Yeah, this is another interesting one. Um, I, I view this one as being quite different to the ones we've talked about before. Um, with those ones, uh, I've said, you know, at the start of the game, you want to think about, you know, is it going to be primaries or secondaries and whatnot. This one I think of more turn by turn. Um, and yep. am I trying to set up? holding a 10 on primary or am i just going to settle for a five on this next turn um because typically you know the home objectives will be pretty well secured and there's going to be a battle over the middle two um so your opponent's probably going to be in a position to contest both of the middle two if they're not that um i don't know there'll be some situations where they're not but you've got to think okay i can i can put models on one or both of those objectives but will they survive till my next turn um, so you might just mm. decide, I'm going to take a five on primary for the first little while, make sure my opponent um, only gets fives as well by trying to knock them down and focus on damage and then hold the objective later on in the game. Um, or another thing you might do is um, really dogpile one of those side objectives or you know put an obsec Death Star or, or hold it really securely um, if you're confident that you can hold it 
until your next command phase. Mm. So when I was playing Dark, when I was playing Dark, I'm still playing Dark Angels. I would, um, you know, of course, I'd do the stupid thing that I, I do and chuck ten obsec terminators on each one. But then I'd make sure that I got my three Talamasters, and all they would do the entire game is shoot on the other, is shoot everything they've got into the other no man's land objective, and that's the entire game plan. It doesn't change, doesn't matter. Of course, that doesn't beat Drakari anymore, which we can all be thankful for. But uh, that, that is that is that a very viable thing for a lot of armies, or is that something that only very specific armies can do? Brandon, I'd say that's a pretty solid game plan, which is called hold one side and contest the other, and then you should win on the primary. Mm. Um, the other thing to note is if your list can pull that off by just having ridiculous amounts of obsec that can't be shifted, then uh, your opponent should not select domination because they're <laughs> yes. never going to be able to achieve mm. it. Um, yeah. Which also means they're probably not selecting engage on all fronts. So you should just throw all of the board contesting ones out the window unless you're doing the bring a Calexis assassin and throw them in your opponent's deployment zone and just have them camp there for a few turns for teleport homer. But um, this is one of the ones that can be more challenging on the secondaries, uh, even though it looks deceptively easy to score because the mission secondary isn't that bad. Theoretically. No, it's not. Theoretically, yeah, for, depending uh, on your army. But yeah. if if it's a really back and forth, no, you don't want to take the secondary. So in my experience, this has been one of the tougher missions to pick secondaries for because all of the objective ones can be very challenging. Yeah, agreed. Or all the board uh, board control ones. And, and I've seen people pick domination on this, and dom- picking domination on this is such a a win more because your domination isn't hold more than your opponent domination is hold more than half so domination is holding three of these uh, if you pick dom you're already telling your opponent you you think you're going to crush him but uh chris anything to add here before we move on um i i partially agree with some of those things and partially not um i i think this this mission often ends up in trading fives um depending on the matchup so you guys have talked a lot about yep. you know really securely holding a side sometimes you can do that sometimes you, you can't um, and that's when sure. domination becomes a lot better when, you know, you might knock your opponent off both objectives. They might knock you off both. You know, that that's mm-hmm. a, a very common play pattern for this mission. Um, and in those kind of games, the mission's secondary vital brand is terrible. Um, you know, you, you'll see yeah. people score two points or whatever on that mission. Um, yeah, if, if you're going to take vital ground, you want to be confident that, you know, your goal is to do more of a, trading tens or giving your you know tens to fives or whatever and you've got to be confident that you can do that mm. yeah agreed all right moving on to the dreaded the loathed the scouring uh this is a hold two uh hold three hold more uh with which has five objective markers one in the dead center of the table and then it's hard to explain how the setup of this is so there is no objectives in your deployment zone they're all in no man's land and it's kind of a uh uppercase i so to speak uh, across the the middle of the table uh your deployment zone is a condensed hammer and anvil so it is the short edges but it's a little box within the short edges that i believe is usually around is it eight inches in from or is it 10 inches in from the the, the longs i can't quite remember what it ends, ends up being but you're in this condensed little box and you've got nothing in your deployment zone to hold and you have to hold two to get five points and none of them uh, you can deploy upon this is a crazy crazy hard one so the um the secondary objective here is strategic scan. Uh, if you select this objective, then units in your army can perform the following action. Uh, one or more units from your army can start to perform this action at the end of your movement phase. Each unit from your army start, that starts to perform this action must be in range of a different objective marker that has not already been scanned by a unit from your army. See below. 
That unit cannot start this action while there are any enemy units, excluding aircraft, in range of the same objective marker, completed at the start of your next command phase. And then you get number of points based on how many you have scanned. If you scan uh, four, of, four of them, you get 15, three is 10, two is six, one is three. Um, and I can tell you right now, I've never picked this secondary and I have no intention of. But Chris, tell me a story. Uh, I, I do pick the secondary, and I think it's a decent one to pick, you're, actually. You're, you're, um, tell me why, because obviously I'm wrong. So if you scan the two objectives closer to you, you'll get six points, and often that's quite achievable, and often that's good enough to make it one of your best three picks, You know, particularly if you've got an army without a codex. Yeah. So as a Dark Angels play, you, know, you, you don't have to stoop to such lows, um, but uh, if, you, if you're <laughs> playing something else, you might have to. So it's a great uh, one to do with characters because it, it's not completed until uh, your next command phase. But if they can't target the unit, then you know that they'll often be okay anyway. Yep. Um, and then yeah, if you get more than those two, uh, that's just a bonus. You start getting ten to to fifteen. Um, so I'm not saying look to pick it, and you should always pick it, but uh, I don't think it's as bad as you're making it out to be. Fair, but is that because secondaries to pick on this mission are generally quite difficult? Um. So domination is a great one in this uh, mission. What will quite often happen is you'll end up trading uh, fives. Um, so often people will be able to hold the two closer to them uh, and then move on to the center, push your opponent off it, then they'll push you back um, and you'll, you'll trade like that. So domination is good. Um, it is like the other hammer and anvil ones, quite bad for things like engage on all fronts um, and it's bad for banners and whatnot. So it can be hard to get that third secondary. Mm. Yeah, totally fair. Brandon, what are your thoughts? I agree with Chris. I think you're going to trade the middle every turn because the middle is so crucial to this game. Uh, it's the odd-numbered objective. So if you're going to try and deny your opponent uh, 15 points, <laughs> then uh, you're going to need to take that middle objective every turn or else it's going to go from 5 points to 15 on the primary very quickly. So as long as you have the resources to take away the middle, even if you can't necessarily hold it, you probably should. Um, Ten points is a big deal. Um, yeah, and that's, I also, that's, that's really a big deal here that I don't think um, gets talked about in such clear terms. In a, in a hold two, hold three, hold more, the difference between holding two and holding three is ten points, where in every other mission, it's only a five-point difference. So it's it's twice as important to deny the, the, them sitting on three objectives, yeah? Yeah, the, almost. it's almost the same. Uh, to go f to three and more because if you hold three you do hold more right yeah yeah there yeah. are only five yeah exactly sorry that, that, that's what i meant um i should have said there was uh, only in the five objective missions but uh, how do you feel about the secondary chris chris likes it i i still can't see it i like it against enemies that can't run over and slap you around so if you're playing a death guard army and they're not running very much mobility, and you can take a couple of indirect fire shots with your unit because you're a character and you can't be shot, mm -hmm. I think it's a wonderful objective. They're not going to be able to cross the board in time for your lowly character to be stopped, and he's probably going to get you 10 or 15 points. That's really good. Totally um, fair. Especially on this mission. And mm -hmm. domination is, I think, an auto-take, because if you're not taking the center, you're already losing. So it's, fair. It's, an, yeah. it's another one that you can be behind and still score. 
Um, one of the things that I see is uh, it happens a lot here is that people try and hold the th the two on their side and then the middle, whereas I always think it's better to try and hold two, the two uh, at the top or the two at the bottom and then the middle, just because I can. It's so easy for the, them to support each other, where it's really really difficult to support the two objectives closest to you because they're twenty eight inches away from each other. Like there are so few armies, like literally like Harlequins and Dark Eldar, are able to get units from one side of that to the other to support another objective. Um, I suppose as a marine player, I don't have the resources or necessarily the speed to jump from one to the other. So I prefer to go for uh, top two or bottom two and then the middle. Is that something that makes sense to you, gents? As long as you have the mobility, because getting to an objective that's four, sorry, six inches outside of your deployment zone, fairly easy for every unit in the yep. game to have something that starts in your deployment zone, walks forward and holds an objective. But moving the extra 16 inches out of your deployment zone to get to the other objective, not every army can do that, especially turn yeah. one. So and especially turn one, most armies are going to have a plan of, I'll just hold the ones close to my deployment zone and I'll hold or contest the middle. Yeah, for sure. But you're right. In the long run, contesting one flank more than the other is probably the way to go. Um, and then maybe you hold on to your own or give up your own, and then you end up holding the two that are 16 as opposed to the two that are 28 inches apart. There's only three missions left. So some of these are really crazy in terms of how centralizing they are. It's like, are you a melee army? You're going to love this yeah. mission. Are you a shooting army and there's no terrain? Well, you've got this one. Yeah, it is a bit like that. But the scouring is definitely a mission that favors faster armies, because if you can just have a 16-inch move unit that auto-advances six, you can get that objective up across the table mm -hmm. turn one. So many of these missions favor mobility. Holy cow. All right, next up we have Overrun. This is a hold two, hold three, hold more. So another yikes. It is a six-objective mission in which you have one objective in your deployment zone and then um, four objectives in No Man's Land in the center of each of the table quarters. Uh, each of the, the table quadrants. Um, and this is a, a, a Dawn of War, so you deploy 10 inches up on the long table edge. The secondary objective here is, uh, reads as thus, uh, score a number of 50 points at the end of your command phase. If you control one or more of the objective markers that are within your opponent's territory, as shown below. Number of objective markers in your opponent's territory you control. If you control one of them, you can score two points, two of them, three points, three of them, five points. Uh, this is very difficult to do. Uh, very difficult. I'll start with Chris. What are your thoughts on Overrun? Um, yeah, so it's not as bad as the uh, one I, I, I ranted about before, but uh, <laughs> planning on holding your opponent's objectives in your command phase is is something you're really going to want to do. It'd uh, have to be a very aggressive army that um, look to do that, and you're probably going to come up with, with better things. Um, Engage is certainly going to be better like it it's it doesn't seem great yeah brandon what do you got to add i mean unless you're playing an infiltrate all in your face melee list where the first two turns of the game you score this and then you know you get tabled um maybe it's not the best mm. so for 90 percent of armies out there you're not even going to glance at this mm. this this more than i think any other is the game that i see the scores being the closest um being to hold to hold more um so hold, hold two for five. And the objectives are all quiet. You've got a big no man's land. You've got a 20-inch no man's land between the objectives in your sphere of influence, the ones close to your deployment zone, and then uh, your opponents. Because So there's essentially three that are to all intents and purposes within your deployment zone. You can almost deploy on the, the two that are just outside your deployment zone. You just walk onto them, turn one, or any infiltrators you've got, just go straight on them. But uh, this is the one that I see coming that's, that's always really, really close. Uh, 
Is, is that a, firstly, is that a fair statement, Brandon? And secondly, what do you do to change it? So this is one where controlling the center isn't necessarily important because like you said, the objectives are all very far from the center. Um, and I can understand why this would be really, really close is because it's actually difficult to deny your opponent their objectives. Mm. Their objectives are really far away from you. So it's an easy one to tie on the primary. And because all the objectives are very far from the center, the secondaries tend to be harder to score as well mm. for both players. So yeah, this is a recipe for most of the time, this will be a close game. Mm. Chris, what do you think? Just just on a sort of interesting note, I think it's really weird that the other hold two, hold three missions, like all the objectives are in the middle, you know, for the scouring, they're literally in the middle. And for vital intelligence, they're across the center line. This is the only hold two, hold three that you can actually score points near your deployment zone, mm. um, which is just super weird. Um, but yeah, I think it's uh, a good mission to play sort of defensively, try and hold on to your three objectives and just try and harass your opponent. And if you can knock them off one of their three each turn, you'll be trading tens for fives. Yeah. Um, so I like to put a bit of fast pressure on both flanks and then just sort of pick a flank to actually, you know, use that pressure on each each turn. That's sort of the default plan that I have. Mm. Well, it's 15 for fives, isn't it? Because as soon as you knock them off one, you hold three. Um, well, that then yeah. might get back onto to it in yeah. the meantime. Yeah, of course. But uh, wh- where this is a pro- problem, yeah, is because you've got three objectives that are easily scorable in your zone, and you have so much to lose by overextending and by failing to disrupt your opponents that most people just sit tight and kind of wait it out, <laughs> and hopefully your opponent makes the mistake first. And, and I see that happen so much of the time. I hate seeing this one in uh, in teams events. This is the worst one to see in a teams event because you're both like, well, I'll take the 10 if you'll take the 10. And you're like, yeah, let's go get a drink. And uh, <laughs> everyone moves on because you just accept a draw. Uh, but Brandon, any other, any last thoughts before we move on? I do like Chris's idea of pushing the flanks. Um, I think if you're playing armies that are relatively close range, that's when the center becomes important. If you're long range and faster, then the flanks start getting more important again. Mm. Because if you outrange your opponent moving to a flank, you're so far away from any of the objectives that they have to get close enough to you to respond. They're far away from what's important. So the flanks can make sense if you're faster and more ranged than your opponent. Totally fair. And I suppose the amount of time we've given talking about the secondary pretty much encapsulates our thoughts of it. Never heard of it. Never going to take it. <laughs> nope. <laughs> never, never bother. Fair. Well done, gentlemen. All right. Swiftly clear is our next one. Uh, so this is another one where it's got objective cleared in this mission if you control an objective at the end of your command phase it remains under your control um it is a take and hold it is a hold one hold two hold more and it's got five objectives one being placed in the center of each of the table quarters and one in the dead center of the table and this one is a table quarters deployment as in you've got a quarter of the table to deploy in nine inches from the center of the table nine inches away is um where you cannot deploy uh the Primary, the secondary objective here is one that's very appealing for a lot of armies, but there's some armies that can play it, some armies can't play it, and a lot of armies like to trade it. It's called Direct Assault. Score three victory points uh, if you control either the objective marker in the center of the battlefield or the objective marker in your opponent's deployment zone at the end of your turn. Score five victory points if you control both. Uh, Chuck this one over to Chris to start off with. How do you feel about this one? And I know you've got a secondary that you think is synonymous with this uh, mission, so please tell us about both. Uh, Do I? Okay. Um, I think that uh, Direct Assault is a a great one to pick in in most matchups. What you need to be a little bit careful of is if your opponent's got that um, 
uh, immovable blob that they're going to put in the center, like the you know mm. minus one damage Deathwing Terminators, and you just you just can't. Um, so you need to be careful of that. But otherwise, I'd normally be looking to take direct assault and domination, um, and and really focus on that. Um, and yeah, this is another one where I'm often trying to hold two of the objectives, sort of take the middle one at the end of my turn, not usually expecting to hang on to it. And just once or twice in the game, I'll try and push my opponent off um, one of their other two objectives and and look to sort of uh, string, you know, four tens together for myself and, and hopefully give my opponent two tens and two fives. Exactly right. Um, uh, the one I was hoping you were going to say is domination for the one that's synonymous with this one, because if you are playing sure. direct, direct assault, you're essentially playing for domination already. Brandon, what are your thoughts? Domination is definitely superior to engage on all fronts. Mm-hmm. 99% of the time in this mission. Yep. Um, you could also pick some of the other secondaries that involve going to the center. Um, so I'm thinking of psych- the ritual psychic one or um, the space marine specific one that requires you to be yeah, in the center. Yeah, both of moment. Um, both of moment. So anything that you can just stack the importance on the center, as long as you can actually control it at the end of your turn, could be entirely reasonable. And especially if you're facing someone who's, uh, again, um, a gunline army, and they don't have super good line of sight to at least part of the center of the battlefield, then uh, you're doing great because you can just plop stuff in the middle and they can't threaten. Yeah, exactly right. So this one is definitely one that favors an assault army and um, domination all the way. Yeah, agreed. And this is one where in a lot of the cases you'll have good cover in the center of the table. Um, Usually the center of boards these days usually has some kind of ruin or dense cover in it or on it. So when you're investing and chucking stuff in the middle of the board to get this direct assault, it's getting more durable by doing so. And so that usually there is this this is one where it's you pick whether you can trade with your opponent on this or they're just gonna get it or you're just gonna get it. There isn't really a um there isn't really any other way about it. It's not like um oh I can bully them off. It's either they're gonna bully you off and you can't do anything about it, e.g. like the, the Deathwing Terminator issue, um, or like they've got forty you know, double obsec Necron Warriors. Sorry, that's just yours. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a little bit of an on-off switch, but there are other things to do. Like you said, engage is not as good as dom in this, but if you are not going to get dom, engage is just fine because by playing, not playing for the center and, and you're knowing that your opponent is going to double and triple down, let's say they're playing Dark Angels because this is what happens to me when I play this one, I end up getting 100 points um, because you can't, I get oath, I get dom, and I get direct, and I max them all stupidly easy. Uh, but then my opponent nearly maxes engage because every one of my resources is in the middle of the table, and they just take every everything else around me. Um, and even though that usually converts into a win, my opponent gets a hellaciously good score. Yeah, I generally don't care if I get a high scoring loss. It's just I'm trying to get at least a low scoring win. <laughs> Fair, fair. So is there anything, any insights here or any tech people, tech pieces people can play if they look at them GT pack and say, oh, we're going to be playing um, sweep and clear. I should take my Raver Lieutenant that can turn off OBSEC. Is, is that a thing? Yeah, that's a great one for this mission. Um, sure. hmm. I'm definitely liking a pick that I uh, got from Jack Harpster where he took Inquisitor Draxus with his Bloody Rose Repentia oh. because Draxus allows you to take that Deathwing Terminator squad down to size because it can't interrupt. Mm. Um, so yeah, they can hold the center once. Yeah. Um, and then it's going to cost them. Exactly right. So well, look at your GT pack. This is one, this is a, a mission you can really tech into with your list. And I think one that you should, because if you can, if you can, if you're an army that can take direct assault in this, you should take it. It's such a good secondary. It's probably the best one we've talked about so far, apart from this last one. So we're on to priority targets, which I believe is our last mission. It is. 
Correct. Uh, this one is uh, this. So in this one, there's a bit bit extra going on. So I'll just read this out quickly. Um, priority objectives after each players have chosen their deployment zone, but before they declare reserves and transports, the players reposition an objective marker A or B as described below. Person who's going first, the attacker, repossessions uh, a one um, labeled A or one labeled B, and then the second player, the person who's a defender, repositions an A and a B, and then the, finally the attacker repositions the the last remaining one. Um, and there's a bit to talk about here. This one's a bit about vital intelligence. We can do quite a bit about the interplay here. In all cases, when objective markers are repositioned, you set it up wholly within six horizontally uh, of its original position and not in or within obstacles or defensible terrain features. After all objective markers have been repositioned, each player secretly notes down one of the objective markers that is in their own uh, territory to be a priority objective marker. Um, after both players have done so, they reveal their choices to their opponent. And the secondary is a, so the primary is a hold one, hold two, hold more. And the secondary is priority targets. Score three victory points if you control either of the priority objective markers at the end of your turn, um, or five victory points if you score both. So if you score your opponent's primary one and your primary one, you get five. This is a wonky vanguard, as in this is the one where I said this is like a, if, if you turned a hammer and anvil into a vanguard. It's a diagonal deployment zone from the top corner, left-hand corner of the table to the center line diagonally um and it has five objectives one in the middle of one in the middle of the board one in the middle of each quadrant each quarter of the table gentlemen lots to talk about here brandon take it away priority targets is the best secondary in the game i was about to say the like, second hands, yeah, hands down. down best one in the game but tell us why because if you can't hold the objective that's as close to your deployment zone as you wanted it to be at the end of your turn You've already lost. Dead freaking set. Couldn't have said it better. <laughs> Simple, eloquent, nice. Chris, anything to add? Um, yeah, I think it's important to talk about the actual repositioning of the objectives. A common mistake I think a lot of people make, or at least some people make, is um, if they get first pick, they'll take their objective and move it further back, which is mm -hmm. essentially never correct, I don't think. You, you want Agreed. to pick one of the middle ones and move it closer to you. Um, yes. So one of the middle ones starts closer to you, one starts further away. If you're thinking you're going to be the um, more defensive player in the uh, matchup, you want to take the one closer to you and make it even closer. I think you can get it just in your deployment zone. Um, or if you're going to be more aggressive, you probably take the one further away and move it to you. Um, uh, yeah, but it's like I've had people, you know, get first pick, move theirs further back, and I'm like, okay, I'll – just take both of the central ones and move them right near me. And that makes it yes. hard for the opponent. Mm -hmm. um, then they put mine further forward. Yeah. And like, I don't, I don't care. Um, you know, yeah. it doesn't make any real difference. In retrospect, that seems obvious, but I'm glad you said it out loud. That would be a terrible mistake to make. Agreed. I've, well, I've, I've, I've purposely done it for myself and realized as soon as I've done it, wow, that was a terrible mistake. First couple of times I played this mission, I was like, well, I'll just make my safe objective safer rather than taking my, clearly easy opportunity one and making that into a safe objective but would what would be an opportunistic objective becomes a truly safe objective that is such a value tick up that it cannot be overstated how much you've just added to your scoreboard just by that simple move but um i always want to reposition two i always want to be the person who repositions the two uh the second in this i always want to be the defender is that is that a thing for you guys as well or do you feel like there's an advantage of being the attacker uh, i haven't given well, ultimately you lose the same number hmm. Yeah, Chris, it's probably pretty fair. Uh, I haven't given too much thought to which I prefer. I normally don't think too hard about the things that I have no control over. Um, fair. So, um, guess this yeah. is what I'm doing wrong. 
Uh, it's fine. Like, it's not wrong to evaluate these things. It's just not the most important thing to evaluate. Mm. Um, but, yeah, you know, as long as you move an appropriate one first, I think it's fine to be the first one to move them. Totally fair. And then the opposite of that, I think it's actually better to pick second because your opponent can make the wrong choice. Exactly, exactly. It gives your opponent the opportunity to make the wrong choice. Because moving two, I don't think there is a wrong choice. You could move any two, and it's a a good choice pretty much. But moving the wrong one first puts you at a disadvantage. Uh, So how do you play this one? To me, I think it, it all pretty much is... You, you have to evaluate the board, evaluate your, your opponent, evaluate which you're going to move, and then reevaluate again. Um, is that fair to say? You have to do kind of a, a, a double check? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I, I'd say that the center is also very important mm, on this one, uh, and it wouldn't be entirely unreasonable to pick domination. Yes. Well, and so this, this is a good one, because if you do move, like if you are um, deploying uh, on the left-hand side, and you move the A, or on the right, and you move the B, the only real one that is close to worry about because now you have two essentially two safe objectives in your deployment zone. If you just play for the middle, you're, you're playing to win just by playing for the middle. That's right. And if you're in the middle and your opponent's not, they're probably not threatening your second objective yep. as much unless they're all the way on a board edge and then they're not threatening your home objective. Mm. Totally fair. Um, I don't, is, there, is there much more to add there? Chris, anything else to add about um, priority targets? Uh, I mean, it plays out fairly similarly to the previous mission, um, just the center's a bit less important. So sometimes mm-hmm. you actually can hold it as opposed to the previous one where it's very difficult to. Um, yep. Other than that, uh, yeah, not too much, Dad. Fair. Well, gentlemen, that, that brings us to the end of uh, running through all the missions. What have we learned? I mean, I think we've learned that there's two really, really, really good secondaries, as in the priority objective ones. The last two we went over pretty much. Direct assault and um, priority objectives, are the, sorry, um, priority targets are two uh, mission secondaries that are just head and shoulders above the rest, right? And then you have some ifs and buts and some maybes and all the other secondaries. Is that fair? Yeah, most of the mission secondaries, in retrospect, are not going to be your first choice. Yeah, but but I do like what Chris said. Some of them can be a very safe five or six points, especially things like Vital Intel. If you think you are going to get absolutely dominated and Vital Intel is just a very safe five points because you're going to hold your own objective for five turns, maybe that's the best you're going to do, right? Right. Chris, what what have you learned from from this journey? Um, I've uh, really appreciated listening to Brandon's uh, sort of clear clear views and and, and ways of thinking through it. So it's given me a lot to, to think about and a lot to work from. Brandon, same question. Is there anything, any insights you've gleaned from this or anything you'd like to draw a particular attention to for our listeners? I liked the way Chris was thinking. Aww. Yeah, um, let's just have a big hug. And, and, uh, everyone loves each other. <laughs> That's what 40K is for. It's right. It's, uh, you guys. Yeah. You lovely guys. Um, but some of the stuff he pointed out was not obvious and was really helpful. So. Fantastic. Well, hopefully you guys listening at home feel the same way. Uh, Brandon, where can people find you if they want to support you or hear more from your lovely dulcet tones? Currently, just if you invite me back. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'll have to do that. And Chris, is there anywhere people can tune into you or, or hear more about your exploits or you know, anything coming up on DUP or down under pairings that they can, sorry, BCP, uh, that they can tune into and what's your progress upon? Uh, nothing particularly. I've got the odd RTT. Um, there'll be there'll be a Madawi RTT where I'll be giving some craft worlds a go this weekend, and that should be fun nice. to see how it goes. But um, yeah, no, I'm uh, not uh, not a prolific person in the podcast community, and uh, no huge events Yet. coming up. 
Not yet, no. <laughs> yet. Uh, we'll see what we can do about that. But thank you, gentlemen. Thank you so much. We're going to go over. We're going to record part two. We've got a huge swathe of questions from our Patreon group that's going to keep our brains ticking over and lots of things to discuss there. If you like what we've done here, if you enjoyed this podcast, please support us over on uh, theartofwar40k.com. Please sign up and, and grab the, the second part of the support, Nick Nanavati and the other incredible people that are part of uh, the Art of War family. And also jump over and support us on all aggregators where you should be able to find us now and on YouTube. Thank you again, gentlemen, so very, very, very much for your time. I really appreciated uh, your insights. And you certainly taught me a couple of things because, yeah, I didn't look twice at some of those secondaries. And Chris was just like, Adam, stop being bad. These are actually okay. <laughs> and you're right. You're actually right. But, gentlemen, I'll say good night to you now. We'll go over and record part two. Thank you so much for all the support all the listeners have given us. Um, take care. Look after yourselves. Look after each other. And we'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to Art of War Down Under, a content review podcast for Warhammer 40K, hosted by Adam Camilleri, produced by Seamus Ronan. Enjoyed the show? Want your lists reviewed and the content you heard put into practice? Sign up to our Patreon and connect with us online or on Facebook. Just search for Art of War Down Under, signing out from tomorrow. Tomorrow.